it's for the fans, isn't it? You know, however they felt, <laughs> however the fans felt, it's how I feel. Because I'm here for them. That's what I'm here for. It's good to hear you say you're an entertainer in the end, yeah? To a degree, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but tell me why you're disappointed about it, then. Because it wasn't a knockout. It wasn't a knockout. And I feel like the fact, like the people are bored of 12 rounders, man. Do you know what I mean? They're bored of 12 rounders. It's annoying. <laughs> but He's a very, very durable opponent. Come on. I think someone will knock him out, though. Huh? I'll come, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come. I'll come. Yeah, the fans love you. Um, when you're in that, towards the latter stages of that fight, obviously there were there were moments early on where he was incredibly fast and he made himself a very small target, but you worked him out, you fatigued him, you took over the fight in the last four, five, six rounds. Were you looking for a finish at the end there? 110%. 110%. Even after the ball. <laughs> what was that all about? Um, you know, you don't really want to, like, start scrapping in the ring but it's a fight man it's a sorry about my language look it's so different in this ring to what people see outside i think you saw it in saudi <laughs> it's really different in the ring and um i gotta learn to control certain aspects of of who i am as a professional hey um welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where i feel we've just seen the the downslope of Anthony Joshua's career and I take no joy in that I thought I would you know maybe a few years ago I would have done but I think the painful thing about it is a lot of people are going to be forced to pay to watch these sorts of fights and we're going to be forced to endure disappointment upon disappointment upon disappointment and I don't think that's fair on the fans I genuinely don't but I just thought let me just get my initial thoughts on the fight. They may change over time, so in a few days I may say something different. But right now, well, how do I feel? So let's start with the pre-fight rhetoric. So the pre-fight rhetoric was, this is Anthony Joshua announcing that he's back. Not that a heavyweight's back, that Anthony Joshua's back in business. He's in the business of entertaining the fans, he's in the business of hurting people, and that's what Derek James was brought in for, right? You don't watch Errol Spence do what he does and then go, well, I don't want any of that. But that seems to be what we got tonight. So if you look at the main event, and I keep saying this, Jermaine Franklin. Jermaine Franklin is the American Carlos Takam. That's what he is. He's the sort of guy, and I'm not saying this disrespectfully, who's a career sparring partner. He's the sort of guy you get in when you need to work with someone who's tricky, cagey, game, brave, and you wheel someone like him in, he's there, Carlos Takam. So he shouldn't be at the top table. And so when he fought Dillian, what we said was, Dillian's just come off a defeat to Tyson Fury. He's working with a new trainer. He's trying new things out. He's only had six weeks with Buddy McGirt. And what you saw with Dillian was, Someone who was fighting outside of their instincts. And you saw that. You're like, okay, he's going to try this stuff out. And that came with a risk. And the risk was he made Franklin look good. So already, you know what you can't do. You can't make Franklin look good. And you have to stick to what you trust most. Because, like I said, Franklin's a career sparring partner. And he'll always be that. But what that means is he's seen everything. You can't surprise him. You're not going to shock him. And he's ready for anything. And these are all the things Joshua should have known because Derek James is no mug. 
He's experienced and frankly, frankly was chosen. He wasn't mandated. He was chosen as a showcase opponent for Anthony Joshua. Yeah, Anthony Joshua, Jermaine Franklin at the O2, free to air. We want to rebuild Anthony Joshua. That's what we want. So, so at the point that the fight's announced, I think we're all thinking, good, good fight. Um, and I said, I want Joshua to win. I want him to get a knockout. And I want, I want him to be in the faces of the guys who have the belts and the guys who bring the money. That's what I wanted. And I thought we'd get that. But fight week felt strange. I think I said it in my previous episode. There was almost this, not, I don't want to say resignation, but there was an evasiveness with Joshua. Where he wasn't willing to engage in that kind of savage side. You know, the, the fight aside, which is, I want to stop this guy. I mean, I haven't won since I fought Pulev. I need to make a statement. I didn't even make a real statement against Pulev. He's old. Here's a young, hungry guy that I should be stopping. That's, that's what we needed to hear in fight week, and we didn't. And we heard all this stuff, and he was, he was having a laugh, and he was this, and he was that, and he was circumspect. He's all the things that tell me that the edge is gone. All the sort of talking heads from DAZN, Matchroom, whoever, would have you believe this is a new and improved Anthony Joshua. It wasn't. It was a Joshua. You only know it when you've seen someone who was top of the tree drop down. So anyone knows this. Do you remember at school or even just locally? There was always that guy that had a hard man reputation until someone stood up to him. And before someone stood up to him, he talked one way. After someone stood up to him, he talked another way. That's what I feel with Anthony Joshua in fight week. Yet we remained optimistic. We were like, they must know what they're doing. You know, there are enough, there are enough heads in Team Joshua to figure this one out. So you're like, okay, fantastic. And then it brings us to Saturday. And I said, the tactics were very, very clear. Right, Franklin was always going to look to counter. He was always going to look to punch with AJ. And I think that's a skill that's massively underrated in his arsenal. The ability to punch with someone. And we knew that Joshua would try and keep it long. And it would be a lot of one-twos. And if he had you wobbling, then we are going to see the, the Joshua firestorm. Right? That, that's kind of how we felt before the initial bells go. And so we get to the fight. And a lot of people sagely observed that there seemed to be blood marks on AJ's vest as if he was bleeding before. And if he was, we need to understand where that blood came from. Maybe the press conference will reveal something, but it hasn't happened as, as of recording this. So, so AJ does his thing. Right? He comes out, there's a bit of blood on there, so you're like, I don't know what happened in the changing rooms because you shouldn't be getting hit in the nose in the changing rooms. That's one thing you shouldn't be doing. But he comes out and... Here's my frustration with Joshua. He's still trying to portray this tough guy gangster image that in, in the decade plus since he won the Olympics has never been validated or verified. No one in Watford who's got a serious reputation or in the surrounding areas has ever been linked to Anthony Joshua. None of them have ever said, yeah, I knew him. The people who've come out and said they know, they know Anthony Joshua are good, good guys, nine to fivers, good people, and that's okay. But when you portray yourself as this tough guy that's from the streets and you've done this, that, and the other, and we've never seen any evidence of it. No connections to anybody who's done anything. It becomes tiresome when you keep portraying this image and you've got whatever artist he had playing in the music. I don't know if it was Nip Hustle, Stormzy, Heady One. I have no idea who it was. And I was like, mate, you're trying to tell the world something we know is not true. 
but at least the the entrance wasn't as overblown as it's been before maybe the budget wasn't there this time it looked pretty threadbare and on the subject of the crowd when they talk about a 19,000 sellout you know it's not a sellout because a lot of the noises you heard during the fight sounded like children and that normally happens when you give out tickets because you're normally giving out tickets to your marketing partners your ticketing partners amateur clubs so they get tickets for them and their families it's I wouldn't be surprised if they gave away a third of those tickets. Just being honest. Just to sponsors and so on, so on and so forth. And you don't have to call them comps because they're sponsors so they put money in. But it, it definitely looked... A lot of times during that Joshua fight, it sounded like... Like when you hear the Lionesses play. And you know that that's not a stadium full of working class men. Which you'd get like if England played. There's a different... Just a different tone and sound to it. I'm not saying which one's better. I'm just saying it's different. And it sounded like there were a lot of people in that stadium who couldn't afford those tickets, mainly because they seemed like they were at 15. So let's talk through the fight, right? We, we, we've kind of established what we thought would be the tactical plan. So the fight starts, and you're going to give Joshua a round to feel his way in. But I was, here's the things I was more concerned with. And I always look at this. I look at pace, I look at the punches, and I look at the positioning. They're the three things for me that determine a fight. Who's controlling the pace? Who's controlling what punches are thrown? Who's controlling the general positioning, right? They're the things. You can add another P, the fourth P, which is psychology. But they're the P's I look for. So in the first round, Josh is throwing this jab and it's tentative. And you know it's tentative because he never got full extension on his jab like he believed he could hit the target. When your timing's on point and your distance measurement's on point, you know when there's an opening and it's bang. Even if you're blasting through the guard, it doesn't matter. You're still committing. But he was sort of committing, and he wasn't hitting with his knuckles. He was hitting with the, with the, with the first joint of the fingers. You know, sort of like pouring it out a bit. And I was looking, I was like, yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't bode well. And in contrast, you had Franklin, and Franklin was twitching, you know, like, and he was seeing the shots early. Joshua was telegraphing, and there was no punch speed from Anthony Joshua like we used to see. It was slow and it was ponderous. And you're like, okay, so you get to the end of the first round, and you're like, huh, okay, this is what we've got. You expect to change. Derek James is going to say, right, we've had a look at him. Okay, here's what he's really about. Here's what we're going to do. So now the second round pattern continues. Now here's what's different. Jermaine Franklin's now strong in the clinches. And what Franklin was able to do once he got into a clinch, and this is something that British boxers haven't properly learned, he was able to get his head in position so that he didn't have to headbutt Joshua but he could use his head almost as a battering ram to position Joshua where he had to. He could move him backwards because the discomfort of having someone's head grinding into your jawbone will force you backwards. So he's got all of these clever things that he's doing. You know, he's, he's there, he knows when to hold, he knows when to frustrate Joshua, he knows how to punch with Anthony Joshua. So Joshua's now looking going, I can't even let my combinations go because as soon as I throw a left to the body, he's going to find a way to get a right hand over the top. So now Joshua's super tentative. And he's waiting for the perfect picture before he lets his shots go. Whereas old Anthony Joshua created his own picture. And he created that, his own picture with menace, intensity and pace. And that's when he had people retreating and scared. And I guess you can do that at a certain level. But then there are people who are legitimately hard men. Who are willing to go through fire in order to win. And Franklin seemed like one of those guys. I did notice that Joshua had gone for the Everlast gloves and some of you boxing sort of historians will be able to tell me if he's ever worn those Everlast before. I don't know if they were like 
power locks or MXs, but he definitely had the Everlasts on, and you could see that it had the, the proper, they were quality, like the leather looked really good on those. But Everlast is generally seen as puncher's gloves, which is why people don't like wearing them. Because I always associate Joshua with Rival, and I might be wrong on that, but I always associate him with Rival, Rival gloves of a different punch profile. So maybe not as generous to punches, but definitely more protective for your hands. So interesting that he made that switch because that would indicate he was trying to take someone out. Yeah, he didn't box like he was trying to take someone out. And so all through these rounds, it's tricky because you can be biased for every round that Franklin remains upright. We may see it as like a victory of sorts, a moral victory, a practical victory. And on the other side, the commentators were so biased that Andy Lee didn't once, in the first three rounds, didn't once mention the good work that Franklin was doing. And as I'm watching this fight, I already knew that this was going to be a, a decision. Because what I noticed was Joshua was never getting full extension on his power shots. He just wasn't. His hips stayed high. He didn't drop his hips to really sink a shot in. He didn't, he didn't do anything we're used to Derek James fighters doing. And that's being the boss in there. I don't think he was. He was, he was tentative. He was second-guessing himself. And if you noticed, he was over-defending. You know, he did that thing that Spence likes to do where he'll slide one arm up to protect his face and he'll kind of have his other one across as like a, like a bar and a bridge. You know what I mean? And I always thought that was over-defending against a guy like Franklin who Joshua should be able to walk through those shots. And so by round four, you're looking at this fight going, so in the first third of the fight, yes, Joshua's won, but this gives us no confidence that he can hang at world level because we do not believe for a second Jermaine Franklin is world level. Not big enough, doesn't hit hard enough, not active enough. He's not a world-level guy. Take Jermaine Franklin and tell me which British-level guy Jermaine Franklin would beat. I think he'd struggle with a Nathan Gorman. That's the level we're talking about here. I think he'd struggle with a Nathan Gorman, and I would not be shocked if someone like Fabio Wardy was able to stop him. So let me come back and say this again. I think Anthony Joshua's a smart kid. I think he's intelligent enough to know he wasn't convincing enough. And I don't think what Derek James is telling him was aligned to where Anthony Joshua needed to be. Derek James as a trainer just wants to win because at least it's not a disaster. Yeah, he's going back to winning ways. Joshua understood he needed a performance. Derek is not as in tune with British fans as Joshua is, as Eddie is. And that's why the rhetoric was so divergent between them in fight week. Derek James was like, we'll take the win. Eddie was like, we need a performance. We need a statement. That's what we need. And so that's where we kind of ended up, right? We ended up with those divergent sort of messages being shared in the corner. Derek James is going to keep doing what you're doing. Because he was winning the fight, but he wasn't making a statement. So in the middle rounds, you saw Joshua trying to find the old Anthony Joshua, the old Femi. And you saw moments like you see the, the wild sweeping hooks that we know and love so much you'd see all of that stuff but it wasn't working Franklin was eating up everything Joshua had and still willing to come back and work and every time Franklin was willing to work Joshua it would look like he was getting flashbacks to Usyk flashbacks to Ruiz and I was like oh my word he, he looks shorn of confidence like he doesn't he doesn't believe in what he's being taught I'm sure there were points in that fight he was having you know, wistful flashbacks and reminiscences of his time with McCracken and how simple that was. 
But if we zero in on those middle rounds, look at Joshua's career. How many stoppages has he got in those key middle rounds? Or how many times has he put people down? He's always been able to, to have that Joshua surge, right? Where he goes, right, I need to go for it now. That extra gear that he's always had. And you're watching it this time going, it's not there. And there are two ways you can look at it. You can look at it from that kind of Joshua hater perspective, which is, oh man, I'm glad he's still rubbish. But I looked at it as I do with a context of having worked with people and also having seen people rise and fall. His look like, let's take the psychological thing to the side for a bit. We'll come back to that. But physically, he looked like someone who had done far too many miles. And he's never really let his body heal. He's never let his body recover and rest. And maybe it's just that whatever it is, the neurons, the tendons, the ligaments, all that stuff, maybe that's just, it's just not responding how it used to because he's accumulated a lot of training miles. And I think Anthony Joshua is the poster boy for less is more. Because if you look at guys like Fury, Fury will tick over, but Fury knows how to tick over. And he knows how to train and how to peak. And I know people say he also knows how to dope. And you can't dispute that. But the harsh reality of it is Joshua looks like a guy who physically cannot reach the levels he used to. And if he can't reach the levels that he used to, he can't be the man anymore. Because he was built on physicality. Joshua's not a trained boxer, nor will he ever be a trained boxer. And I I keep saying this. Rule number one in boxing, defense is harder to teach than attack. Rule number two in boxing, timing is harder to teach than both. Rule number three, therefore, the later you started boxing, the more of an attacking force you need to be. And the less you need to care about having the greatest defense ever or the greatest timing ever. You should have enough of a defense to stop the basics but an an attack that is elite. And that's what Joshua was built on. That's what McCracken got right. He kept it really, really simple. Said, right, your defense is two hands up and a couple of steps back and then right back at it. Yeah? Challenge them to have a better defense than you have an attack. Always a smart way to do things. And Joshua, and I remember there's an interview where he said, I'm always in charge of my situation. I know how I want to box. Therefore, I get the people around me who will allow me to do that. No one else makes that decision. Okay, cool. But you're never going to be a defensive genius. Because all defensive genius boxers started as kids. There's no better place to make your mistakes than childhood. The guys with great timing started off as kids because they have so many different scenarios in their head. They've been able to build up mental pathways to do that. It's hard to do when you get older. Definitely not something you want to do in your 30s. So that ignorance and arrogance that he has to believe he can be anything at any... It's it's noble. Okay, cool. But it's costing him his career. Because he's caught between 15 different ideas. And his body is not able to do what he needed it to do. So then you start to see the mentality start to wilt and wither when he can't be that guy. Joshua doesn't want to be a guy who's in nip and tuck fights. Eddie said it, after that Vladimir Klitschko fight, Joshua never wanted to be in that scenario again. Where it was, someone had to go. He doesn't want to be in that scenario. Why? Because he was scared of it. And since then, he's boxed as if he doesn't want to be in that scenario. But everything McCracken was preparing him for was to have a career being in those scenarios and coming out on top. 
That's why you always saw the mid-rounds surge. You always saw that. And so tonight when he tried to surge, and he did try, the body wouldn't, wouldn't go with him, and the demons crept in. Because the body wasn't responding, the demons crept in, and then you saw him start, not, not wilt mentally, but stagnate. And so as you're watching this, you almost go back to that day, nearly six years ago, when Joshua fought Klitschko and say, well, what was different then to how he is now? He was so dynamic, like Joshua wasn't afraid to punch going forward. But if you look at him now, he, he doesn't punch going forward. And there's a time and a place for that. But if stylistically your thing is taking people out, you've got to punch going forwards because you gamble that he ain't that good going backwards. That's the gamble. And you're more often right. Like We'll talk about Fabio Wardley in another episode, but look at what Fabio did when he just put his foot down. I don't care how defensively good you are, you can't defend eight or nine punches coming at you. Joshua could have done that at any point in this fight. So let's ask the question, why didn't he? Is it because Derek said no? Is it because his mind said no? Did his heart say no? I may, we may never know the answer to that, but what I do know is by the end of that eighth round, you start to think all these other guys they've been linking with Joshua will run through him, reverse over him, do donuts over him. And that's not a good feeling because I've been saying this for weeks. I want to see a good Joshua. A good Joshua is good for boxing. Anthony Joshua on top is great for boxing. Forget me for a second. I'm just the guy that records into a microphone. Anthony Joshua on form is good for boxing. By the end of round eight, we're looking at him going, nah, he ain't got it. I've got tweets left, right, and center. Shouts out to everyone who did tweet and participate today. You helped elevate our discussion to the top of that tree. But everyone's like, he's done. Not, not that he's rubbish. No one said he was rubbish. It's he's done at that top level. Anthony Joshua is done at that top level. And we'll call that top level Fury, Wilder, Usyk, Joyce. You can add Hergovic at a push. You can add, I think you can add Dubois in there. We're still not sure with Andy Ruiz. I think I'd, I'd be worried about Joshua facing Derek Chisora right now. I'd be worried about him facing Takam right now. They're not fights I think he would be guaranteed to win. Because Takam will definitely have a go, and Derek will definitely have a go, but obviously him and Derek are mates. So that lets you know where Joshua is right now, where you couldn't name, like, of the top 10 heavyweights, I don't think the first four or five are guys that Joshua could beat. He may try and be competitive, but he won't beat them. And I don't think Derek James can do much to change that. The journey Joshua has to go through is in his own mind. Go back to the second Usyk fight, and I said, this is what I would do if I was AJ. I said, I'd have taken a year off. I wouldn't have trained. I'd have just gone and I'd have done all those things that interest me. I'd have gone and spent time in Nigeria. I'd have gone and, you know, built orphanages or done whatever you want to do. Give back to your community. Build your Cleaner Hearts campaign in Watford. All this stuff that I think is amazing and probably warrants Joshua getting a knighthood further down the line. I'd have done all of that for a year. Forgot about boxing, but in the meantime, I'd have got my team to construct a gym in northwest London where only heavyweights and cruiserweights could go. And all Joshua would do is come in there every day and be around that energy. I don't think him taking himself away from the energy he helped create is good for him. But that's where I stand. So if we come back to it, so into rounds 9, 10, 11, and 12, I was like, if Franklin can stay on his feet, Franklin's won the moral victory here. He's increased his value. 
I think that's the second of three fights, right? So who are they going to put him in with next? I can see Eddie putting Franklin in with Chisora now and go, right, that's how I'm going to get my money. And he earned that. And Franklin earned that by being willing to punch with Joshua, which left Joshua gunshy. I go, can't throw a combination because this guy can see the openings. He can actually see the openings. And so we had this kind of weird kind of descent into mediocrity in the last few rounds when Franklin knew he wasn't going to win because they were always going to give it to Joshua. And Joshua was like, I can't stop this guy because I've hit him with my best shots and he's taken them. But as fans were watching it going, Joshua hasn't got full extension on any of these shots. They've been wild, flailing shots. He hasn't had that devil that he used to have, that precision that McCracken drilled into him. And I kept thinking, why not just go back to McCracken? What you guys had worked. Now, I don't know if it's good for you physiologically in the long term, but it worked. And so you end up with this fight, and you look and you go, what could Franklin have done? I think Franklin should have just believed in himself a bit more, coming a lot more aggressive and intense, but that's not his style. Having, having had in-camp reports on how he boxes, what you saw from Franklin is always how he was going to fight. He can't change that. So his hope is he catches you on an off day, and then he'll make the most of that. But he's not going to be a guy who seeks and destroys. It's not in his nature. And we found that out tonight. And so... How does the fight end? The fight ends, was it 118, 111, 117, 111, 117, 111? And you're like, okay. But what does that tell us? Nothing. It tells us absolutely nothing. So we're no closer to knowing how good Joshua is. None at all. So we watch a fight that, that flattered to deceive. And I'm not going to say Joshua was terrible. I don't think he was terrible. I think he was just a guy that wasn't elite. Anyone else that had fought that fight would have been okay with. Let's be honest. If that had been a Dominic Brazil, we'd have been like, ah, okay, take over fight. If Luis Ortiz had done that, nah, okay. Andy Reese does that, fine. Better days ahead. But this is the problem when you've got Eddie Hearn. Hearn was telling us that we were going to see something special. We didn't see anything special. We saw a guy that doesn't believe in himself the same way he used to. A guy that probably doesn't trust what he's been taught up until this point. So there's probably trauma related to that. Then there's a trauma of getting punched up by little guys. And that probably gives Joshua flashbacks because if you're around Watford, you'll know that he wasn't a feared guy. There were people who were ready to fight Anthony Joshua because they saw him as... Yeah, you're a big guy, but you're kind of soft. And that's why he took to the gym, and people say that in his younger years, he was on the juice then. And that's how he got so big. I can't confirm or deny that, but that's what they said. So there's always been this kind of thread of insecurity through Anthony Joshua. If you go back to the Usyk speech, he said, I had to learn to fight in case I went to jail. And you remember there was a video clip of one of the kids who was in Reading jail with him he bumped into him and I laughed because I said to myself, hold on, Joshua can't have been in Reading jail properly because when you get locked up, you're on induction for a couple of weeks when they work out who you are, who your affiliations are, where's the safest place to put you. It takes a couple of weeks. You're in induction with other kids who are in induction. So they're equally as scared and nervous as you are. You don't get to be around the general population for a couple of weeks. So Joshua never actually spent time 
amongst the general population. So when he talks all that talk, he's trying to tell you a story. He's trying to connect himself to a street energy he wasn't a part of. Because if you remember, he didn't go to jail for things that... Because you know you get G-checked in prison. And they go, what are you in here for? And you've got to have a good story. So you don't want to be in jail for nonsense. You don't want to be in jail for crimes against women. You want to be in jail for something like, do you know what? Yeah, we saw our enemies in a restaurant. We shot up the restaurant. The police chased us. We shot at them. And I'm not encouraging this, by the way. I'm just saying in those sorts of dynamics, they're the conversations. If it turns out you beat up a guy who was half your size, you don't get rated. You get rated as a bully and someone will try it with you. So that thread of insecurity runs through every story Joshua tells if you really want to buy into it. But I've always said there's a deeper, darker secret. I don't even want to say it's a dark secret, but it's a secret that Joshua hides from us. You, we can all kind of suppose what it is, but I don't want to overthink and I don't want to speculate publicly, but I've heard enough rumors to suggest I have a good idea what it is. And until he confronts that and is comfortable with that in and of himself publicly maybe he can't be the guy we want him to be he was able to to get to a certain level in life by using that fear to drive him forward but he's a multi-millionaire he'll never spend the money he's earned what's he doing it for now nothing and so when you don't have that fire, you don't have that, that fear, that thing you have to prove, when you don't have that anymore because you've proven everything to everyone, now it's about how bad do you want it? How bad can you overcome your demons and your insecurities? And he can't because he was always a guy that was used to being the bully. And any time people stood up to him, it was a struggle. And these little guys are all standing up to him. And he's struggling with that. But what was interesting was, if you look at the end of the fight, I'll say this now, lessons were definitely learned from the Usyk fight. Yeah, so end of the fight, there's clearly been some needle between them in the ring and some tension. And I think Franklin's just letting Joshua know you ain't as bad as you think you are. And that probably annoyed Joshua. Like I said, it, it pokes at his insecurities. It pokes at his fears. It pokes at his desire to be accepted as a tough guy, which... In his sphere, he's not accepted as a tough guy. To us civilians, Joshua's a tough guy. But in that world of, of boxers and heavyweights and fighters, he's not a tough guy, nor will he be known as a tough guy. Whereas someone like Dillian will, because it's like Dillian goes out on his shield. That's what people want to see. They want to see guys go out on their shield and go, if you get me, you get me. And that's when you, get, that's when you truly get respected. And Joshua knows he hasn't got that. So you saw the kind of rumble. And quite rightly, Franklin's corner came in and went, what the hell are you doing? And then Joshua's corner got involved. But you see, unlike the last time, Derek James is of sufficient character that he will have his charge under control. Right? And so when it was getting heated, you could see that they were delaying things to let Joshua cool down and people were in Joshua's ear saying, remember what happened last time? Because Joshua was fuming. And I imagine there's a lot he wants to get off his chest because he knows that performance is terrible and he knows he's going to get criticized. And I imagine that's where it was headed. And this time the zone had a, a fire break. So they just turned the stream off, right? While they got Joshua aligned and they said, right, mate, you can't screw this up, okay? It's a big moment for us. And so Joshua comes out, um, we get corporate Femi, which I guess is needed. And yeah, he was aware that that fight wasn't that good. And what he said something interesting. And he said, 
one of these British guys will knock Franklin out soon enough. And I was like, well, why wasn't it you? Why the hell wasn't it you? And he's like, ah, you know, these little guys that bob and weave. It's like, he's not the first one. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is what camp is for. You had people in camp who were six foot four, six foot five. And even Brian Jennings. Brian Jennings is like six two. Brian Jennings is not a, a bobber and a weaver. He's quite a fundamentally sound box, but he's not that. So who was meant to be Franklin in your camp? It didn't make any sense. But Franklin got some Joshua type guys, and when he came to the UK, he got British, he got British heavyweights to work with, just so he could get his eye in and he could get his timing. And that proved to be quite a, quite a smart move. So Joshua's there and he's like, ah, oh, you guys, you know who I want to fight. And Joshua's now, you know, he's got the begging bowl out, as Porky Russ would say. And he's like, yeah, I want the Fury fight. And, you know, as of recording this, I don't think Fury's come up with a response video, but I wouldn't be surprised if the video's imminent. So I guess when we see that Fury video, there'll be some ridiculous demands. Fight me in five weeks. Do this. Why don't you fight me on April 29th? You didn't break a sweat. This, that, and the third. That's what you'll get. But the real question is, so after this fight, where are we in terms of the heavyweights? So let me give you my honest verdict on this fight. For what they promised, this fight didn't deliver. Was it a bad Joshua performance? No. It was a transactional performance. So it was, he went out and got the win. And he didn't really struggle in getting that win. Because Franklin isn't accurate enough. And he isn't powerful enough to cause trouble. Like someone like a Wilder is accurate. Someone like Joyce is accurate enough. So those will become real problems. Franklin wasn't. I imagine Franklin's connect percentage was somewhere in the teens. I would have put Joshua's connect percentage somewhere in the high 20s, early 30s. Just based on what I saw with my own eyes. And so it was a competent enough performance. If Joshua was able to land, I don't know, even 10 to 12 punches around, he's done well. Right? But that, that wasn't the performance we were expecting. We were expecting spectacular. We were expecting him to reintroduce himself to the elite part of the heavyweight division. And he didn't do that. Not only did he not do that, even amongst his own fans, he sowed enough seeds of doubt where they were like, we will never see the Joshua we thought we would see. Even amongst his own fans now, they're now saying he's on the downside of his career. And because he's a guy who never really had skills to fall back on, it was pure physicality and athleticism. That is going to decline quickly. Whether he's on the Conor Ben program or not is irrelevant. Whether he's on the TUEs for hypogonadism is irrelevant. All of that's irrelevant. His body is not going to respond like it did five years ago, six years ago. So his decline will be faster than, than the others. You take Wilder, you don't lose power. He may lose a bit of speed, a bit of mobility, that power will still be there. Fury, those skills will get him out of trouble for a few more years. Joyce, similar position to Joshua, but that chin and that physicality will get him out of trouble. Joshua's the one who's kind of standing in the sea naked now. I'd even say Dillian's slightly ahead of him because we never saw Dillian full noise against Jermaine Franklin. So if the next fight's going to be Dillian White, so be it. I want to see that now. And Dillian says he wants revenge, so, so fair enough. 
Maybe that's the fight that will get Joshua scared and motivated enough to, to rediscover who he is. So we have to be, I don't want to be reasonable, but we have to give Joshua one more opportunity and say, maybe he took Franklin lightly and he, he just wanted to get the win. Maybe the pressure got to him in this one. And now that that monkey's off his back, now that he's back in the winning category, judge him on the next fight. Let's see where we get with that. So with this one, if you're going to grade him out of 10, 5. And that's mainly based on what we were promised by the promoters. Versus if he had just said, I'm just going to show up and get the win, watch it, don't watch it, whatever. I would have, I would have been on board with that. So that's what I put it. I give it a 5 out of 10. Um, in all, all things considered. I do think we're on the downside of his career now. So I don't know how you manage that going forward. Do you just cash him out and say, right, one big fight in Saudi and then that's it? Or do you manage it and go, we'll give him a Franklin, then we'll give him a little step up on a Franklin, dig up a Brian Jennings, for example, and then maybe put him in with someone serious. I don't know what the answer to that is. What I do know is, that crowd was not feeling the same way about Joshua on the way out as it did on the way in. And he's got a long way to go to repair that. But the problem with AJ is because he doesn't engage with the public and the media between fights, this is just a, a wound that's going to fester and get worse over time. I want him to come back because, as I've said, um, a winning and viable Joshua is good for everybody. But right now, I can't see how that's going to happen. I definitely don't think Derek James is the answer. I'm happy to be proved wrong on that. But I just don't believe it. Like I said, I think Fabio Wardley would stop Jermaine Franklin. I think Derek Chisora would stop him. I think Takam would stop him. I think people with the heart to have a go would stop Jermaine Franklin. And I stand on that. And the fact that Joshua didn't even try to stop him. And people say, yeah, he did. Look at his punches. Look at how much elbow flexion was still left in the punches. Look at how reluctant he was to move his feet into range to let him go. Look how many times he overreached. That's a guy that didn't want to engage. And one of the things he's going to have to learn is don't create these devils in your own mind. These fighters are human beings, man. They're more scared of you than you should be of them. Now, I've just seen the time, so I want to wrap up now. The world may change in the nine or ten hours I have to sleep, so we will see. However, in the meantime... Like, as a, look, thanks to everyone that was on the the Twitter journey this evening. It was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed doing that. I think we had more engagement than the DAZN Spaces did. So that's a big win. Uh, you know, on a side note, that Addy guy, I remember when people used to tell me he was one of the voices of hardcore boxing. And I said, that's just a clown in a green chair. And I got laughed at for saying that. There you go. And on that note, I'll say take care, guys. As always, appreciate the support. Appreciate the love. We'll keep fighting the noble fight. You know, you guys are a big part of that. You know, as the army gets bigger and you're a big part of growing the army, they can't keep ignoring us forever. 